party people what is going on guys 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 it's never a dull moment is it always something always somebody um i mean we're gonna discuss some things but briefly i just want to touch on actors on actors and i want to run through the list really quickly for a second i was like should i put this in like what we're watching but like I can personally never sit all the way through them because they are, like, so, like, structured and the questions that they're given to ask are so annoying. And, like, ultimately, I'm not going to sit around and watch two, like, rich people talk about their craft or whatever. But I do want to run through the pairings because someone on TikTok ranked them based on, like, least exciting and mo- to most excited that they're going to watch. And um, I was like, honestly, some of these are fascinating and I must... Um, mention them and then we can run through what we're actually going to talk about this week what we're actually going to catch up on how dare I Um, but these are the pairings of uh, Variety's actors on actors conversations this year Laura Dern and Michelle Williams Joe Alwyn and Paul Mescal which multiple people are just like Mescal Mescal Um, Mescal yikes Uh, multiple people on the internet are just like two white men who date two white women and their white women are more famous than them. I just need them to stop trying to force Joe Alwyn at all of us. Like if you can, I don't know what the alternative to a Nepo baby is when it's your partner, but that's that man. Uh, Carrie Mulligan and Margot Robbie, Kate Hudson and Glenn Powell. That one does look kind of fun because I guess they are actually friends in real life. Letitia Wright and John Boyega. I thought that I would get into that one. And the minute I started it, they were like, we're going to do a project together. And Letitia was just so serious. And I remembered that I don't care for her and her anti-vaxness. Janelle Monet and Austin Butler. That one was fascinating. Um, the clip I saw of it because we know I did not watch it. Colin Farrell and Jamie Lee Curtis, Ana de Armas and Eddie Redmayne honestly might be the kind of chaotic evil, um, interview that we do need, or maybe they're chaotic neutral. I don't know. Um, Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh, Ariana DeBose and Simu Liu, um, Brendan Fraser and Adam Sandler and Viola Davis and Jennifer Lawrence, which I did start watching Viola Davis and Jennifer Lawrence because I was like, this is interesting um, because I obviously like both of them. And they had like some decent conversations, but Jennifer Lawrence is just so chaotic. And I feel like Viola Davis is like a very serious person. And so it was interesting to watch their dynamics together, but I didn't dislike it. I will say there's also the Hollywood roundtables coming out, Hollywood Reporter roundtables, and the actress one is already out, and it's looking a little chaotic too, and so I'm very excited to watch that. But beyond that, we have some other things to catch up on. We have Golden Globe nominees because obviously Actors on Actors, Hollywood Reporter roundtable, all these things are the press and the work to do to win an award to get your things nominated. Um, The other things I want to discuss are the Daily Show um, guest hosts, as well as like, you know, these uh, rumors about influencers and whether or not they're being arrested. Who actually knows? Um, There's some rumors about Henry Cavill out there, too, that I'm very intrigued. And we're not going to talk about those yet because they're unsubstantiated at this time. And you know that the foundation of this podcast is, is, um, you know, factual journalism. I I don't say things unless they've fully been uh, corroborated by multiple sources. That's why I just say allegedly in front of everything. Um, And then I also need to discuss the fact that the sister wives are now down to one wife. I mean, can you believe... Again, I don't watch this program. I almost completely consume it from TikTok. And it is crazy to me. We have to talk about it. I also want to talk about the fact that SZA's album has 75 songs on it. Okay, let's catch up.
let's start with the Golden Globes. So they are back this year and they will air again on NBC on January 10th. It's interesting because they didn't air last year because of the drama with the discrimination within the HFPA like voters. And um, NBC didn't air the award show. It still happened. I have no idea who won. But in the past, the Globes have been considered to be like setting the tone for the rest of awards season. The idea that if you won the Globe and you won the SAG, then you would probably win the Oscar, that sort of thing. It's not always the case, but it'll be interesting to see if they have any sort of power anymore. Like, obviously, it's still exciting to win an award, but it should be um, interesting to see how they're received, I guess. So the other thing about the Globes is that they split up drama and then musical and comedy, which I personally love. But it's interesting because it means that things like Best Actress which like for the Oscars, obviously, it's just best actress in a movie. And for the Globes, it's like best actress drama, best actress um, comedy. So let's run through the big ones. Um, The best picture in the drama category, Avatar, The Way of Water. Haven't seen it, probably won't. Elvis, I still haven't watched it. I just don't have a lot of interest. But I do think it's interesting that Elvis is nominated in the drama category when there's quite literally a guitar on the cover photo for the movie. The Fablemans, the Steven Spielberg, like, life-inspired um, flick, Tar with Kate Blanchett, and then Top Gun Maverick, your classic drama. Best picture um, for uh, musical or comedy is Babylon with Margot Robbie, uh, The Banshees of Inishirin. I have not, I've heard people pronounce it and I have not paid enough attention and that's on me. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I still have not watched, I know. Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, which I am unfortunately very excited to see. And then Triangle of Sadness. Um, Best Actress in a Drama, Kate Blanchett and Tar. Olivia Coleman in Empire of Light, we love Olivia Coleman in anything but The Crown. Um, Viola Davis in The Woman King, Ana de Armas in Blonde which is wild to me, and then Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. Um, Best actor in a drama is Austin Butler in Elvis, Brendan Fraser in The Whale, Hugh Jackman, The Sun, um, Bill Nighy, I think, uh, for Living, and then Jeremy Pope for The Inspection, which I think is the one that he's in with Gabrielle Union, and I would genuinely like to see. Um, And I need to see Empire of Light. I I mean, like, we know I'm not a movie girl. I love um, awards, but anyway, uh, best actress for musical comedy, Leslie Manville and Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Margot Robbie in Babylon, Anya Taylor-Joy in The Menu, which I have a personal affront to the movie The Menu because they're saying Yes Chef in it, and I refuse for anything else to have a cultural moment with Yes Chef other than the bear, you know? Um, Emma Thompson in Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, and then Michelle Yeoh in Everything Everywhere All at Once, um, which it kind of seems like she is the the shoe-in, Michelle Yeoh is. Um, Best Actor for Musical Comedy, Diego Calva in Babylon, Daniel Craig in Glass Onion, Adam Driver in White Noise, Colin Farrell, and uh, Ralph Fiennes for The Menu. Um, Best Supporting Actress is just, like, it's not um, genre-specific, which, like, I don't know how they make these decisions, that they're like, these, yes, these, no. Angela Bassett got the nod for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, 
Carrie Condon, Jamie Lee Curtis, Dolly DeLeon, and Carrie Mulligan. And then Best Supporting Actor, Brendan Gleeson, uh, Barry Keehan. He's the guy from, um, oh, no, he's not. I thought he was from, he was the guy from Power of the Dog, but he's not. Uh, Brad Pitt in Babylon, which, have you guys seen this story that, like, um, Margot Robbie is saying that she, like, just took the opportunity to kiss Brad Pitt and it wasn't scripted or something because she was, like, when else am I going to get this opportunity? And I feel like no one is really talking about it, but I'm like, didn't we just go through this? Like, and I hate to be literally that Twitter guy, but I'm like, if a man was going around telling that story about a woman, we would all be so like offended and grossed out. We'd be like, you can't just do that. But she's going around telling it and people are just like, <laughs> cause she's pretty, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm like, what are we, what are we doing? Um, okay, so you've got Best Director, which, like, it's all the movies that are nominated otherwise, right? Um, Avatar, Everything Everywhere, um, Elvis, Banshees, Fableman, uh, Best Picture Animated. I think it's kind of fun that Marcel the Shell with Shoes On got nominated, and so did Turning Red, which I did watch that, and it did make me emotional. Um, love a deep Pixar movie that's going to upset me. Uh, Taylor Swift is nominated for the song for uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. So then you get into TV, right? Because this is the thing about the Globes is that they are movies and TV, which is my favorite trivia thing for someone to ask me because, unfortunately, I don't have any other skills, right? Your Emmys are TV, your Oscars are movies, your Globes are TV and movies. So now we get into TV. Best Drama Series, Better Call Saul, The Crown, House of the Dragon, Ozark, and Severance. White people, stressed out, those are your drama noms. Uh, Best musical comedy series, now you know I'm into this. Abbott Elementary, The Bear, Hacks, Only Murders in the Building, and Wednesday. Love that. I wish that so many other people could be nominated, obviously, but I'm obsessed with that category. Uh, Best limited series. You've got Blackbird, which I watched, and I don't know if we talked about it, on Apple TV, um, it's great. Dahmer, which I did not watch. The Dropout, which is just confusing at this point because Amanda Seyfried has already won the Emmy for it. And it's just like, where does this fall in the calendar? Pam and Tommy, which is surprising. And then The White Lotus. Best Actress in a Limited Series is uh, starts with Jessica Chastain for George and Tammy, not to be confused with Pam and Tommy. Also her second time in two years playing a woman named Tammy, which I think is interesting. Just throwing it out there. Julia Garner in Inventing Anna, which is also interesting. Uh, Lily James in Pam and Tommy. Julia Roberts in Gaslit and Amanda Seyfried in The Dropout. So surely Amanda will catch herself a Golden Glove because, not to be rude, not a strong category. A lot of strong cheekbones, but not a strong category. Best Actor in a Limited Series. Taron Edgerton for Blackbird. Colin Firth for The Staircase. That's wild. Um, Andrew Garfield, Under the Banner of Heaven. Evan Peters for Dahmer and Sebastian Stan for Pam and Tommy. Um, Best TV Actress Drama. Emma Darcy, House of the Dragon, Laura Linney for Ozark. Honestly, I'm excited for Ozark to end so that they all stop getting nominated. Amelda Staunton for The Crown, Hilary Swank for Alaska Daily, and Zendaya for Euphoria, which 
looking at that actually now I'm realizing that part of the reason that my voice went up when I said Alaska Daily is because I enjoyed it but I'm kind of surprised that she was nominated because that is the only network show the rest of these are on streaming services it's Netflix and HBO and Alaska Daily is ABC so um, fun for me to process that with all of you does Zendaya win again is the question um, best television actor drama she did just win the Emmy so it's interesting I've never really thought about I talked about the Golden Globes impacting the Oscars but I never really talked about I've never really thought about the Emmys impacting the Golden Globes I should do some research on that um, best TV actor drama Jeff Bridges the old man sounds compelling Kevin Costner in Yellowstone so maybe the PR they're doing after four seasons is finally working um, Diego Luna and Andor Bob Odenkirk and Adam Scott Best TV Actress for Musical Comedy, Quinta is nominated for Abbott, um, Kaylee Cuoco in The Flight Attendant, Selena Gomez got her nomination, thank God, because she was snubbed at the Emmys, Jenna Ortega on Wednesday, and then Gene Smart for Hacks. Um, best TV Actor for a Comedy, Donald Glover, Bill Hader, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Jeremy Allen White. Best Supporting Actress for a Limited Series, um, or motion picture, which is confusing, but um, Jennifer Coolidge for The White Lotus, Claire Danes for Fleischman is in Trouble, Daisy Edgar-Jones for Under the Banner of Heaven, Niecy Nash for Dahmer, I did not know she was in that, and Aubrey Plaza for The White Lotus. We will appreciate The White Lotus nominees while also acknowledging that Megan Fahey was robbed, so hopefully she will get nominated and win her Emmy. Best Supporting Actor uh, for TV Limited Series, F. Murray Abraham for The White Lotus, Domal Gleason for The Patient, Paul Walter Hauser for Blackbird. I really hope he wins. I thought he did a phenomenal job. Uh, Richard Jenkins for Dahmer, and then Seth Rogen for Pam and Tommy. I cannot believe all the things that Pam and Tommy got nominated for. Best Supporting Actress for TV, Elizabeth Debicki, The Crown, Hannah Einbinder, Julia Garner, Janelle James, and Shirley Ralph, both for Abbott Elementary. Would love to see Elizabeth Debicki win. I thought she was like scary good as uh, princess die best supporting actor for tv john lithgow the old man um which honestly is the name of the show but it just sounds like i'm just saying like oh you know that old man <laughs> jonathan price the crown john Turturro for severance tyler james williams for abbott elementary and Hen henry winkler for barry and that was long but that rounds out the globes like i said it's january 10th so we will run through um, the winners when we actually get there. And whether or not we're supposed to, I will watch the ceremony and talk about it. We have no idea who's hosting or anything like that at this point. So who knows what kind of drama we could get ourselves into. But I'm looking forward to it. So we know that Trevor Noah has left The Daily Show. Um, his last day was earlier in December and he has not had a replacement announced which I think is interesting I don't know if that's because he made the decision when he was going to leave and you know Comedy Central or whoever um, didn't get a chance to get around to like fully interviewing people and going through that process before he was going to leave or if they always knew that they were going to do this but what they're doing is instead of having one guest host or filling the slot immediately they're going to have like a rotating door of guest hosts I'm not sure how long anybody's going to be there. I would assume a week. That seems like a normal amount of time. One night doesn't seem like enough time to like get properly prepared. But I wanted to read off some of the names because I think 
it's actually going to be quite fun. Not that I like sit around and watch The Daily Show all the time, but I feel like we all have seen like clips and YouTube videos and stuff of like um, The Daily Show and Trevor Noah. And so I'm excited about some of these people. So the first thing to note is that it does seem like some of the current Late Show correspondents like Roy Wood Jr., like Dulce Sloan, like Ronnie Chang, they are going to get a chance to sit at the desk and be a part of the transition, which is exciting and also definitely does feel like an audition for them. Um, I think we all have opinions on like, you know, who would be a great option. I think that Jordan Klepper, I think I talked about this on the podcast before that I think he's so smart, but I think that he does such a great job like out on the street and stuff like that, risking his life about to get COVID at all those rallies and stuff. Um, but I think that Roy Wood Jr. is so painfully funny and I think he would be delightful behind the desk, but I think it'll be fun for all of them to get a chance. But the other people that are filling in are uh, former Senator Al Franken. (laughs) Very strange. Um, I know he was like in comedy and like wrote on SNL or whatever. I just think that it's crazy that he wrote on SNL and then he was a senator and then he resigned because he like grabbed someone's butt or something. Such a strange career trajectory. Anyway, Chelsea Handler, which will be great because we know that she is accomplished in this way. D.L. Hughley, Leslie Jones, that will be chaotic, we know. John Leguizamo, Hassan Minhaj, which obviously a former Daily Show correspondent, so that'll be great to have him back. And I think a lot of people have thrown him out there as like an option for replacement because he no longer does the Patriot Act. I think he would be great if he wants to do it. But like if I went from doing like a weekly show on Netflix to doing like nightly shows, I would be like, no thanks. Um, Cal Penn, Sarah Silverman could live without it, honestly, but we'll see. Wanda Sykes, who we love, and Marlon Wayans are the names as of right now. Um, so I'm excited to see all of them, um, bebop around and excited to see what Trevor Noah does next because he has that Netflix comedy special out right now, that stand up that I still have not watched, but, um, I'm curious to see if he's just going to do stand up for the rest of his time being. I know that people make a lot of money touring, um, but I know that people also make a lot of money hosting late night shows. So we'll see, but I'm excited to see some of these people that are definitely just like filling in. Like, I don't think Wanda Sykes is going to become the host of a late night show because she honestly, at this point in her career, seems like she has the best case scenario where like people probably just call her and they're like, do you want to do this guest spot on this show? And she does like one or two episodes and then she gets to go back home. Um, but It should be interesting to see with the ones that are auditioning how those kind of work out. I'm excited. All right. So I basically have one question this week and it's a doozy. Um, What is up with all these Charnas rumors? Um, I think we all thought a lot more was going to come of it based on Reddit, LOL, and like Dumois, and nothing really happened. Um, If you don't know, Brandon and Ariel Charnas are, first of all, um, like, well, first of all, congratulations to you that uh, you don't know who they are and that you have a life. But secondly, if you've heard of the brand Something Navy, this is their influencer first founder, Ariel. Um, when referring to either of them or their brand, I do have a friend group that just says Charnas. No one says their first names or something Navy, um, which I do love. And um, what do you think Charnas had to say can refer to them as a couple, a brand, or separate adult entities? So when I got the text that said, you're covering Charnas on the podcast, right? I was like, I think I have to. And this um, 
text message that I received was allegedly 48 hours ahead of this large Business Insider article detailing the husband's allegedly spending and misusing and embezzling millions of dollars of investor money from something Navy in an effort to like keep his real estate company afloat or something. The rumors were that he was being arrested by the feds in Miami and it was leading to the couple getting divorced that um, the wife was not wearing her wedding ring in photos. She had limited comments on her Instagram and she had not posted the husband in months. And that all of this was building up to an impending divorce because he was embezzling money from her company. Despite these rumors circulating and the rumors of this large Business Insider article, that is not the news that ended up breaking. The couple continued liking and commenting on each other's Instagrams. His Instagram is private now, but... This this is what I've read. He did comment on hers. Um, there's no actual police report of Brandon being arrested in Florida, despite multiple people claiming to have first-person accounts of it. And Florida has, like, crazy, like, laws when it comes to the availability of these things, which I think we all know at this point, that, like, had he been arrested, people would have been able to find it on the internet quite quickly. Um, people also have first-person accounts of Ariel dining at the polo bar the same night that he allegedly got arrested by the feds in Miami and that she looked completely unbothered. But there also were all these rumors about her not wearing her wedding ring. Um, the drama around this couple and their family has extended like much further than rumors of embezzlement. Um, again, for those of you who do not know who you, they are, you are fortunate enough to not know that in the throes of COVID, they were in their apartment um, she was pretty convinced she had it. This is back when like tests were few and far between. So like the beginning of everything, she from some like shady medical connection, got a test, tested positive. And like the, the true downfall of these people is their oversharing, right? Like their life, their money, their livelihood is based on them posting constantly. And I literally read an article the other day from an influencer that I actually follow. And she was published in something that said that if she chooses not to post all weekend long because like she's doing something or whatever and she chooses to disconnect, she will lose 30 to 40% of her Instagram stories, story views and engagement all from not posting over the weekend. So these people essentially have to overshare to maintain their income. But back to the Charnises, she posted that she got a test when like people were not able to get tests. She then posted that they tested positive. And then she posted that they were like running away and escaping to the Hamptons because they didn't want to quarantine in their Manhattan apartment. But let's keep in mind she was posting that they were leaving when she had already posted that they tested positive. So people were roasting her um, appropriately because she was actively spreading the disease and she like posted an empty photo of their lobby or something and said like, we called down, they cleared out the lobby and the elevator for us. Like we got in our car and we drove straight to the Hamptons. And I'm like, you literally got in an elevator with COVID. You walked through the entire lobby like, please stop. So people were like absolutely dragging them. So this is not a couple or a business that has a record of being like considerate and kind people. And I think that's part of the reason that the minute that someone thought that this man was a scammer, they were like, let's do this. He's had some like shady deals in the past as well. I can't remember all of them and I should have looked them up and I do apologize. So it's not like his history is completely clean either. But um, the fact that either one of two things happened here, right? 
The first is that, like, he is actually involved in something and there's the potential that they didn't, like, publish the arrest because he's going to be, like, an informant or something. Who knows? I might be watching too much TV, but that's a potential. The other is a world where, like, maybe he did do something wrong, but it wasn't this serious and it got blown up into embezzlement because it was that easy to believe because they are that bad, um, which is crazy. But if you're next time you're in Nordstrom and you see um, something Navy, maybe don't buy it. Just saying. Okay, this is going to be a quick one, and I don't know if this is something that we're actually going to watch or pay attention to, but I just need to flag it and make sure that we all are aware because I think that it's so unhinged. Um, have y'all seen any previews or any information about this show premiering on ABC called The Parent Test? It seems like truly the worst uh, group of people all got together and were like, here, there's a terrible TV show. Um, so the parent test is premiering on ABC and it is a bunch of sets of parents sitting in a big room with Allie Wentworth and some man who claims to be a doctor and a parenting expert. And they all are going around the room judging each other's parenting styles. And then at the end, one will win and you don't win any money. You just win the fact that you won. That's it. So in each episode of this show, they are all going to sit there and then show video of their children behaving in certain situations, like going to a fancy restaurant or responding when a stranger knocks on the door of their home. And the goal is to figure out which kind of parenting style is the best, whether that is child-led parenting or helicopter parenting or whatever, you know, all these different things are. This show seems insane to me for so many reasons it's like obviously um one exclusive parenting style doesn't make any sense I don't have any children but I assume that you would want to um compare uh, uh combine rather not compare uh, parenting styles to the kind of parenting that you use is dependent on your child and their needs and their personality and not who you are so I think that if you have a whole parenting philosophy and it is um, in direct opposition to how your child exists on this earth, that's not going to bode particularly well for them. And three, the last thing I want to do is sit in a room of a bunch of other people that are similarly raising children like me so they have no more or less experience than me and let them tell me that they think I'm doing a good or bad job. If they think I'm doing a good job, great, you can share. If you think that I'm doing a bad job, no thank you. Um, I don't know what all of the the styles are because I think there's close to like eight couples or something like that. I don't know. I'm embarrassed for them. There's like um, children that are being told, you know, they can do whatever they want. And so they're jumping on couches and that's like the new age style. But then there's also parents that like hover over their children, you know, all day and night and don't let them do anything crazy because they don't want them to get hurt or whatever. I will not be watching or maybe I will. I don't know. I'll be reading a recap, I guess. But I just had to share because I thought it was so crazy. It's called The Parent Test. I hope that it never gets renewed and there's never another season. And I hope that Allie Wentworth just goes back to writing memoirs or whatever. So I watched part one of the Harry and Meghan documentary on Netflix. I'm obviously referencing Meghan Markle and Harry, whatever his last name is. They don't have a last name, just Prince Harry. Um, 
Ar- Mountbatten Windsor or whatever is their last name. I don't know. You guys knew who I was talking about. But I watched the part one of their documentary on Netflix. Part two is coming out as I record this. And I have some thoughts, obviously. I think most people do. We acknowledge this when I even talked about the documentary coming out that I do think they're boring. I don't think they're that interesting. I think that we're like really, this is like some overkill with the doc and the book and the podcast. And like, I just feel like we're really milking something here and they're like obsessed with telling their story and stuff. But I was obviously going to watch it because my bar is low. There's a lot to discuss, to be honest. I think that one thing that we like really keep getting beat over the head with is this idea that she had like no idea who they were or anything. We're like playing old clips. We're like, she's writing emails being like Prince has, which I was like, please stop calling him has. He calls her H nonstop or she calls him H nonstop. I was like, we get it. Okay. Just like call him Harry. It's weird. I hate when women do that, you know, when like, some man goes by John and everyone in his life calls him John, but she's a woman who's like, Jonathan, Jonathan, will you grab me a napkin? It's like, we get it. Okay, congrats, I guess, on being intimate with that man. Um, So that was annoying, but that was not the biggest takeaway. I think for one, we're like obsessed with being proven that she didn't know what she was getting herself into. But the thing that's most fascinating about her not knowing what she was getting herself into is that the naivete seems like it was on both sides for them. She had no idea what she was getting into. He did not prepare her at all. It was so obvious throughout the course of um, the documentary, at least what I've seen thus far, the first few episodes that like he had an opportunity to really discuss with his American girlfriend what she was getting herself into by dating this man who was a literal prince, the most well-known royal family like in the world. Um, and the most well-known white family in the world. And he chose to not prepare her in any way, shape, or form. And I find that suspicious. I'm not saying explicitly about the racism because I think that he had no idea that that was going to happen. And I have a whole separate conversation to have about her and the racism that she just did not see coming. Um, But even when they were talking about meeting the queen and like she didn't know what to do, she didn't know the British national anthem, like, He knew those were all going to be expectations from her and he did not provide her with any sort of like she was just talking about Googling things. And I'm like, it is normal for people to prep their partners about their family life in one way or another, whether it's like Aunt Ruth gets loud when she drinks or like you're going to have to curtsy, you know, to a specific depth when you meet my grandmother. Like, I think she was she deserved to to get a little bit more information there. So I think it's very interesting that they are out loud and proud yelling about how they didn't really know what was coming. Now, we have to talk about racism. And I don't know if that's going to make y'all upset. I feel like if y'all have made it this far, we don't have to worry about that. But as most of you, I think, by this point know, Meghan Markle and I share uh, two things in common, which is both being named Meghan and both being biracial women. And I do think it's weird that we're both biracial women named Meghan. I have not married a prince. What I find most interesting about Meghan Markle's entire story and reaction and response to the racism that she received was that she acted surprised by it. I think it's very interesting because she was marrying into a very white family and a family that quite literally believed that God chose them to be the leaders of a variety of nations across the world that were primarily people of color, primarily black people. They are like literally the colonialists, right? So I think her going around talking about how she didn't see herself as black 
and then the world kind of reminded herself that she was um is very interesting given that she was raised by her black mother predominantly and her black grandmother but it doesn't seem like it seems like the largest issue with blackness here is and I'm going to say this and I understand that like this isn't my place to say because I'm not her therapist but it does seem like Meghan Markle has a larger problem with her blackness than anyone else does. And I'm not saying that because she married a white man. I'm not saying that because of, you know, her career, her ex-husbands are also white, like whatever, like those are your choices. But I think her response to the racism and the fact that she was genuinely surprised by it and her mother even said to her, this is going to be coming down the pike. And she was like, no, I'm not worried about it. I am cognizant when I go into predominantly white spaces, especially in the South, people's extended family and things like that, that if I do not hustle myself over to the person that I know, I could very easily have someone's uncle walk up to me and say, who do you know here? And I'm not interested in that. So I think it's very interesting that Meghan Markle did not see any of it coming. There's also a larger discussion about her straightening her hair her entire adult life, but we don't have to talk about that. She's not white passing. I think that white passing as like a discussion has been warped by people like the Kardashians. She doesn't have a white complexion. Her hair is obviously when it is in its natural state. It's obvious that she is not um, 100% white. But I I don't know. I found her discussions about the racism very interesting. I don't know if they're going to talk about it more. I thought that the documentary was interesting from like a history perspective when they talked about like colonialism and the queen and like all this stuff. I thought it was sad how they showed clips of like how William and Harry had to like work a rope line after their mother died. Like that's so awful. Like it was interesting to to hear from them, I guess. But I thought it was kind of funny how like when they were talking about the extended family member, the cousin or whoever who wore that like brooch that was offensive and like racist to meeting Meghan Markle that they then had to also acknowledge that Harry at one point in his youth wore like a Nazi uniform, which I had truly forgotten about, but they definitely couldn't get away with like not acknowledging that. But he has gotten away with it for years because he's protected by like the media empire that they go on to like say that they are very disappointed that didn't protect them as a couple, protected him for so long. And I'm like, yeah, when you ran away from home, which no one's shaming them for running away, no one's shaming them for leaving, because he explicitly was like, we were not safe. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have done that. But they lost those protections to some extent. So he now had to sit there and be like, yeah, I made a mistake. I can't believe I did that. When he like never would have had to acknowledge it if he had just stayed. So I don't know. I there's a lot of thoughts. But like, I think that there's a lot of personal thoughts for me that I drew from it. But I think that ultimately, like when we watch them, they still are just like boring people desperate for all of us to find them like fascinating. Like the premise of them leaving the royal family, leaving their duties was like very easy and obvious. And I feel like doing the Oprah interview was sufficient. That was easy for me to say it was sufficient. And I feel like when they did the Oprah interview, this Netflix documentary was not even on the table because I think if it was, they would not have done the Oprah interview. You know what I mean? Because that's where the tea was when they told us they lived at Tyler Perry's house for a little while. That was the good stuff. Okay, please, the thing that we are watching this week, in addition to Harry and Meghan, of course, is this thing happening with the sister wives. Um, Truly wild. I know I talked about it a couple weeks ago that I was like, guys, am I becoming invested in this show? And it would appear that I am. Um, If you have never watched Sister Wives, 
I feel like I spend a lot of time on this podcast congratulating people on actually having hobbies and lives. Um, apparently the show has been on for 17 seasons, which is wild. And I did not think it had been around that long, but, um, this is the family of the Browns, right? So Cody Brown is the husband and he was married to three women, Mary first, then Janelle, then Christine. And they were together in plural marriage in Utah, which is, you know, officially frowned upon by the Mormon church and obviously the United States government, um, but Mary had one child, Janelle has like quite a few, I feel like close to like, you know, eight or 10 or something crazy, seven, I don't know. And Christine similarly has quite, quite a few as well. Um, and they were all living together in Utah and Janelle is an accountant and a CPA and, you know, handles the finances for the family, but also obviously works. Christine takes care of all the children at home. I'm not sure what Mary's role was other than getting catfished later on in life. Um, Cody has made his money through like gun shows. And I think that's like his, he calls himself a businessman, but I don't know. So they have been married for, I don't know how many years at at the point where they introduce a new wife. And that's how the show starts is this woman named Robin comes into the family. She's previously been married. She has children from a previous marriage. She's gone on to say in multiple articles uh, since they got married that she wanted to be in plural marriage. She had plenty of marriage opportunities with one man. Um, it's like a monogamous relationship before and she turned all of them down because she wanted to live in plural marriage. So I don't even know where to begin with that. Um, her eyebrows have slowly taken on a life of their own, um, but that's neither here nor there. So over the course of time, this man on television has clearly, he's probably always been this way, right? But he's evolved into someone deeply like narcissistic. And obviously when you have like 20 children to care for and four wives, like you are not going to be able to appropriately have relationships that are mutually respectful and um, loving and things like that with all of these people. So when COVID happens, What this man decides to do is because of the fear of COVID and the COVID protocols that he established in his house, I promise I'm getting to the part where he's left with one wife, he um, decides that he's just going to stay with Robin, the newest wife, and her children in their house, and that the other wives are going to live in their own houses, because you have to keep in mind that these people, when they were living in Utah, each wife had their own house, and that man would move from wife to wife in different homes. And they lived in like a cul-de-sac. And then when the government in Utah started to come after them, because again, I will never understand these people doing something that they know is technically illegal and then putting it on television for the cash. So they had to move to Arizona. When they moved to Arizona, it upset quite a lot of like the teenage children, the older children, and their relationship with their parents was like already actively suffering. So they move to Arizona and when they do this, they like buy new land and they build new houses and they each have their own house again. And then when COVID hits, Cody decides to just live with Robin. And every time the wives meet up with Cody and they sit outside and they talk, they literally sit out in camp chairs, like on a porch. That is it because of all of his protocols. He has all these things. And he maintained all of them deep into COVID, right? So at the beginning, when we all were like Clorox wiping down like a a head of lettuce and a bag of Lay's chips and like all that stuff, that's what he was saying. Sanitize your hands, wash your hands, wipe down your mail, leave it sitting on the front doorstep for 48 hours so it could become disinfected. All of those things he maintained for months after the rest of us were like, oh, that doesn't do anything for this airborne respiratory virus. 
So these protocols slowly start to drive a wedge between the families because the older children are like, so you're telling us you literally won't see us unless we follow all your rules. And he's like, yes, they have a nanny coming over to him in Robin's house that's going back and forth during COVID. But they have no, no one knows why they have a nanny because they're just sitting at home with the kids anyway. And they're like, so the nanny gets to come to and fro, but you literally won't go visit your child uh, your teenage daughter in the hospital when she has surgery. So these protocols start to slowly, and I'm using the word protocols because that's what they use. They slowly start to get these people to the point where they're deeply frustrated. And the second wife, Janelle, um, her older boys are some of the ones who have a full falling out with their dad because they're like, you're taking this to the extreme to the point where you can't even maintain a relationship with him. And obviously as a mother, especially one who, um, shares her husband with three other women, she starts to side with her children over this man. While this is all happening, he's not going to the surgery of a child. He's like fully ignoring his other children that are his biological children, and he's just spending his time with Robin. The third wife um, decides that she's going to leave. She decides that this no longer serves her. She's 50 years old. Most of her children have grown up. Most of them are back in Utah. She's going to move back to Utah with her youngest child and, um, and you know, restart her life there. So she's going to leave this man who, when she tells him that she's going to leave him, which you can do because they're not legally married to one another because you can't be legally married to more than one person. And years ago, when they accepted Robin into the family to adopt her children, Cody had to legally divorce his first wife, Mary, who had been married to him for 25 years and legally marry the fourth wife. So that is the only one that he's legally married to. So in essence, the other three never have to file any paperwork. They can just say, I'm out of here. And that's what Christine did. So that's the second wife. She has up and left a while ago. She's been gone for a while, but it didn't air until this most recent season of the show. And now the rumors are that the third wife has also decided to leave and it has yet to air. She has packed up her bag. She will likely move back to Utah where her adult children are. And she no longer is interested in having a relationship with this man. This man has been incredibly cruel to both of them. I've seen the clips of, on TikTok where essentially they have said, this relationship no longer serves me. I don't want to do this. And he just like yells at them and screams at them. And he tells them that he's not attracted to them and he wasn't ever attracted to them or whatever. Just whatever he can say to hurt them, right? He has no emotional intelligence at all. And no one has ever held him responsible for anything that he's ever said or done. And as a result, he's a man in his mid-50s who's throwing temper tantrums. And it is embarrassing. So wife number two and wife number three have left. And what you also have to keep in mind is that wife number one, who he was legally married to and is not anymore, her name is Mary. Years ago, she got catfished. It was very sad. But around the time where she got catfished, it clearly seemed like their marriage was falling apart. Whatever remnants of a marriage they had. Also, I love that I said, I don't really know a lot about this. And I'm doing this from memory. So she gets catfished and around this time, like they are not even sleeping together. I don't think, I don't know if he's ever going to her house, but they've pretty much dwindled their relationship down to a friendship. And it has been for the last few years. He does not even go over to her house. She does not have any young children around for him to parent. And so they have fully crumbled to the point where she is the only one that supports him during arguments sometimes. And he has such little interest in it. They will literally It'll cut to his talking heads and he'll just be like, of all people, for Mary to be the one to support me. Like, he doesn't even want her support. So wife number two leaves. Wife number three leaves. Apparently, before they filmed their reunion, 
Cody looked at Mary and said, I don't want to do this anymore. Do you want to do this anymore? I think we should just get divorced. And she was like, do I get a part of this decision? And he was like, no, I think we should just get divorced. So he has forced wife number one out, even though she said that she would be around for 20 years if he let her, which I think is very sad. Lady, have some dignity. This man doesn't even like you, much less love you. He doesn't even like you. So at this point, this man whose entire television show was predicated on him having four wives and like 20-something children now only has one wife, one wife who's explicitly said that the reason that she married him was because she wanted to be in plural marriage. She doesn't want to be in a monogamous relationship. So what happens next? Do they keep the TV show called Sister Wives? Do the wives who left get a spinoff Sister Wives No Longer Wives? I don't know what it's called, but that. That's the first thing that came to my mind. So TLC, if you want it, come get it. Cut me a check. It's Sister Wives colon, obviously no longer wives. I don't know. But I'm very interested to see what happens next. There's a lot of speculation that he will just ultimately go find a younger new wife and then that'll be wife technically number five, but also number two in this situation. I don't know. I'm invested, obviously. It's gross, ultimately. Like, it is. It's gross. Um, But that's what reality TV is, right? guys thanks for making it this far as always thanks for catching up um i mean i don't i need to go watch the second volume of harry megan obviously um and then maybe we'll stop talking about it until i read that man's memoir that comes out in january um and i'm gonna stack some other celebrity memoirs around it so maybe we'll do a nice little recap there um definitely need to do some, you know, top books of the year, pods of the year, movies, TV shows of the year. It's our end of year recap. So honestly, send me your thoughts, um, especially about movies, because you know that I don't have any other than like The Noel Diary on Netflix, which is not going to be in the top five, but it did make me emotional. Um, I do love the world where like Netflix and HBO and all those channels, I know we already discussed this weeks ago, have like caught up to the Christmas game um, because that movie, something from Tiffany's or whatever with like Zoe Deutsch on Amazon Prime, that's like high budget, you know? I think Reese Witherspoon produced that. Like, come on, Reese, get into that and let some of those books go, you know? Let Taylor Jenkins read, breathe. But I am excited for Daisy Jones coming out on Amazon Prime. We finally are starting to get some looks at it. And I loved, loved, loved that book. So I am very excited about it. The other thing I mentioned that I just wanted to briefly say is that SZA's album finally came out after waiting for her for like five years or something. And it is 23 songs only totaling to like an hour. I love that girl. I support her. And like some of the songs, you can actually understand what she's saying, which is very cool. But I'm like, 23? all to total an hour it's kind of crazy also when she was talking about the album she said that like she was supposed to have more features and more people were supposed to be a part of the album but they never turned their verses in and at first people were like oh that sucks like that's so sad but like you know we enjoyed it anyway and then she proceeded to continue to to say later on in the interview that she was like I didn't turn a lot of my verses in for those people so I understand and I was like she's so messy we appreciate her honesty but ultimately like those people were in the right if she was supposed to be on their song and she never um actively participated and then she asked them to be on theirs and they were like payback fair enough fair enough um I think that's it for me off the oh my gosh the passing of twitch 
so sad. I know that people, like he knew so, so, so many people and touched so many people and he's been in the industry for so long. I just remember watching his season of So You Think You Can Dance. It was season four. It's a great season with like, I mean, they all have phenomenal dancers, obviously. But even then, it was so clear that he was such a light. And it's so sad. Him and his wife just like dancing together, making little TikToks and stuff. And she's also like so talented in her own right. Um, And they have three kids and the two little ones are very little. And it's very, very sad. It really is so sad. And like the narrative of like check in on your friends. Like I don't, I, I think we should probably stop saying that because texting your friend and saying, how are you doing? Like even if they're going through this crippling depression where the only thing that they think will um, solve it is to quite literally leave the world. I don't think they're going to say that to you. I think they're going to say, good dude, how are you? Um, yeah, it's so sad. So sad. Sorry. What a terrible way to end this episode. I don't know how to turn it around and make it positive, but happy holidays. (laughs) Thanks for catching up.